True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. And first pitch, crushing! Deep left field! This is way back! Walk the Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Whoa there. Welcome to March, and welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today. I am Frank Stanfield, joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. We did all of those long position previews over the past few weeks. So today, we're going to recap each of them. Plus, we're going to give you our favorite player to target at each of those positions. We'll also have updates on the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational and the labor negotiations. Uh, just got a, just saw another update there, so we'll, uh, we'll get to that. But first, what did you guys think of the new intro? Snazzy, huh? It's yeah. Really, it's I, really, <laughs> I, I, I noticed there, there's not a certain name in the intro anymore. That well, that guy big timed us. That was guy. That guy was like, "Oh, I'm too good for this show." I like that his removal creates more inflection on Chris. It was, did you notice that it was like, "And Chris, Frank Scott, and Chris, yeah. Chris." Yeah. So when we were making it, they were they kept asking me the order of the names, and I'm like, I don't know. I I guess Frank Scott and Chris sounds the best. You say them all wow. out loud, Chris. Wow. Chris Scott and you, Frank. You know, know the the famous person who is not the star is listed last usually, right? Well, that no, that that's so there. it depends cuz you can get different types of credits. The famous person who gets the like starring Frank and Scott with Chris would well, be how with, you but it. there's also and. and or and. Yes, and. I don't yes. I didn't yeah, no. I It's fine. You, we could have gone alphabetical order. That would have been cool. Uh, with Chris, we Frank went, and Scott. Yeah, literally the least alphabetical order possible. Yeah, Chris. it's fine. That's it's it fine, up. guys. Jump I, right I know where I stand. Chris. That's how, <laughs> that's stand. how my, um, my son says Chris, by the way. He says, Chris? <laughs> is that <laughs> that how, is how my nieces say it. Yeah. Like, Chris. I'm going to start introducing you like that. Chris. Uh, yeah, by the way, yeah. I was going to text Adam Azer, former host of this podcast earlier, and say, you know what, man? You really chose the perfect time to to leave a fantasy baseball podcast. You know, if we're being perfectly honest, you know, I step in, got like three or four months of filler as we lead up to a shortened season throughout the pandemic. Last year was fun, but of course, you know, sticky substance, changing the ball around. It's been a crazy couple of years in baseball, and I guess that's a good place to start, right? Just 
get people caught up on on the labor negotiations. Uh, Yeah, you're not wrong, Scott. Um, The latest (laughs) is that the players and the owners just met for a seventh time at Roger Dean Stadium out in Florida, and they've now been meeting together for 12 hours and counting. So they started, uh, you know, at 10 a.m. on on Monday morning, and uh, we're recording this, you know, just after 10 p.m. at night. So I don't know. They, they, it seems like they are determined. There's been some optimism, but then there's also been reports that like they're still far off on a lot of things. So I don't know, like Scott, what's, what's your read of the situation? Uh, You know, maybe by the time people are listening to this in the morning when they wake up, I mean, there either could be a resolution or just an update that, you know, the season will be delayed. But as of now, we just just don't know. Oh, it could be, it could be all number of things. I was as the most pessimistic I've been so far this weekend uh, when basically the, the players showed a willingness to come down on the, the CBT, uh, which is competitive balance tax. I believe that's what that stands for, right? The players showed a willingness to come down and the owners didn't move like, at all, like, basically zero. And that makes it seem like not really a negotiation, right? Like one side is saying, this is the line, take it or leave it. And the other side has to take it or leave it. So I, I kind of thought the players would leave it at that point and just back away from the negotiating table and try to wait out the owners. But that clearly hasn't happened because they've had this marathon negotiating session here on Monday. So, uh, you know, the fact that they're still meeting, I think, can only be a positive, but I would I would not say that I'm optimistic there's going to be a deal done tonight either. Yeah, it seems like they're going to be working this late into the night. There, There is a tweet that I'm seeing here from Andy Martino. Growing optimism, CBT tax penalties can be negotiated back toward old status quo levels. Unclear if draft picks will still apply to highest levels of spending. This major issue is seeming... Uh, seeming workable all of a sudden first threshold expected to land around 225 to 230 million. So that's actually pretty massive, pretty massive news. Uh, apparently the, the, the biggest holdup is whether to expand the playoffs to 12 or 14 teams right now. So I, I saw somebody else point this out on Twitter and maybe I'm naive, but if they're working this hard, this late into the night, mm-hmm. I think that that's really good news. So, right. like, why would they yeah. be working this hard if they really thought something was not going to happen? If, if they weren't, yeah, if they weren't getting anywhere, right, then they would have just called it off by now. I, I, would, I would think. What, what do I know? I, I'm just seeing clips on Twitter of people walking through <laughs> a parking lot. So. It's just like, that's what we've come to, right? This is uh, yeah. sports reporting. We, we've got videos of Rob Manfred. Uh, you know, we're working on it. All right, well, thanks, See, th- this is a this is This is y'all's first... Uh, you know, like labor negotiations coverage, I'm assuming. Uh, we haven't really had a lockout or a strike in a professional sport since... I guess there was one in hockey in like 2013, but I don't, you know, it's hockey. I'm just, <laughs> like, I, I don't care about it. And none yeah. of the other people on this podcast do, is what I'm saying. Uh, if you care about hockey, that's great. I get my score notifications for the Florida Panthers. That's about it. But among the sports I care about or the sports we talk about, among the three of us, Last one was basketball in 2010, 2011. And I remember like late night sessions for, I feel like several weeks before they really ironed it out. So I don't know, man, it it still seems like they're really far apart. Like MLB's CBT proposals that we saw tonight were like 
35 million or 40 million and the player's last one was still like 120 million or something. So it's, or uh, no, sorry, that was the bonus pool. The CBT, I think they're still like 25 million apart. So it's like, I'm not optimistic. Um, And it's hard for me not to remember that one side very, has made it very clear, very publicly two out of the past three years that they are fine with having fewer baseball games. That has been their negotiated position and that is the owners. And so as long as they're saying we don't want, we like, we're fine missing games. I just, I don't know how you can be optimistic. <laughs> like, I don't know how you can say, Oh, this is a, this would be horrible for the sport, but also we're ready. We'll do it. Right. And it's like, all right, well, I would be shocked if we had baseball in early April, but I hope to be shocked. Being shocked is fun. Chris, do you have people playing Twister in another room or something like that? Because yeah, I've got some friends over. Uh, I, I can I'll, I'll, I can tell them to be quiet if we need to, if it's bothering, if it's bothersome. But we've got like three dogs in the in the living room, oh, two geez. cats, like four Are adult human Twister beings. Too? Yeah, and everybody's playing Twister. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah, it sounded pretty, pretty raucous there in the, in the background. So uh, the hot spot. <laughs> I haven't played Twister in so long, but maybe, maybe I've got to fire it up. All right, we're gonna pass on the labor negotiations. I feel for like now. Twister as an adult would be would be weird. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you lose your flexibility the older that you get. Oh, I mean, I, I, no, I wouldn't be able to <laughs> just not do anything. Just straight up, like I just would not. <laughs> just I got I got bad hips, man. Yeah, well, you probably shouldn't be playing flag football then. Anyway, let's get into our, our TGFBI teams. <laughs> Excuse you. First place, five and one. All right, all right. Prove three touchdown wrong. passes, three receiving touchdowns on the season going into the playoffs this week, sir. Prove me wrong. Keep doing it. Keep doing your thing, Chris. Uh, whenever there is an update on on the labor negotiations, if there's breaking news, I'm, I'm sure we'll do some kind of emergency podcast. So until then, uh, the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational, I mentioned this on yesterday's podcast. These are 15-team, 5 by 5 Roto Leagues where you're also competing for an overall prize against a bunch of other people in the industry. So it's, I think there's 14 or 15 different 15-team Roto Leagues that are basically all playing against each other. Scott had the fifth pick in his league. Uh, Chris had the 11th, and I had the second overall pick. Scotty, where are you at? Did you actually make your fourth round pick? Because I know you were debating. Uh, I did. I was I was agonizing over it as we were doing the mic check here. So the draft has, it, it's been, there, there have been some strange happenings here. Okay, so I I I was first in the Kentucky, Kentucky Derby style, you know, selection of the draft pick, right? And with the first choice, I went five. Uh, because I do think for for roto leagues there are five standout hitters, and I was okay with any one of them. I got Vladimir Guerrero. Uh, the other four went one through four, and I got Vladimir Guerrero, which is fine because I had Guerrero ranked second of the five, so I was happy with that. Yeah. And then in round two, which is what pick is that overall? Twenty six. Because it's a 15-team league, my my the 26th overall pick, Freddie Freeman, was still there. That's which, wild. yeah, I mean that that's an automatic pick, right? Except I took Vladimir Guerrero in round one, so I'm going to use my first two picks on a first baseman. Ultimately, yes. I decided yes, yeah, I just couldn't pass up the value and the uh, assurance that Freddie Freeman, 
offers. The other choices, I think, it would have been between Shane Bieber or, or Cedric Mullins. So when you line up the names, it becomes pretty obvious. you got to take Freeman there. So yeah, started my draft with two first basemen. And then in round three, Salvador Perez. You know, the I, I have that Salvador Perez rule where I'm always going to take him in round four if he's available. In a 15-team league, I don't think it's reasonable to think he's going to be available in round four. So I took him with my third pick at 35 overall. Uh, and then with my fourth pick just now, I came within two spots of getting Austin Riley, who was the only guy I considered apart from Salvador Perez with that third round pick. And that would have been so choice if he had made it back to me in round four, 56th overall. But he didn't. Fell two two picks short. So I went with Kevin Gosman. It's my first starting pitcher. My highest ranked pitcher who was available was Charlie Morton. But of course, Charlie Morton goes a lot later than I rank him. That's why I've hyped him up this whole preseason as my favorite pitcher to draft. So I went out of order to take Gosman, hoping I can either get Morton with my next pick in round five or maybe even really roll the dice and take him in round six, which would be 86th overall. Mm. That's about as... That's about his ADP, so it's possible. But obviously, I'm pushing my luck if I think he's a lot more valuable than his ADP. So, uh, yeah, no stolen bases yet through four rounds, and there has been high demand for them. I mean, Tyler O'Neill and, and Javier Baez, who aren't projected to give you that many steals anyway, they both went in the middle of round three. But that's fine. I, You know, the zero SB strategy, intent being... Intentionally unintentional about drafting stolen bases. I'm I am forging ahead with it, and I am okay finishing in the bottom of the third of the league in that category. So we'll see how it goes from here. But um, I wish I could have gotten a better number one than Gosman, but I just feel like the way starting pitcher was being depleted, I had to go ahead and and, and take my first one there and and not put all my eggs in the Charlie Morton basket. All right. I'm interested to see how your team turns out. I appreciated your tweet uh, calling out Heath Cummings, his former strategy, uh, the NIPS strategy, no intentional position strategy. So you, you had yeah. to draft the best you players available. First base, man. I mean, clearly, <laughs> that's, that's, that's you clearly do. what you're doing. Yeah, you got a load of these NIPS, Heath. <laughs> you got the two best in uh, in Vlad and Freddie Freeman. Chris, you had the 11th overall pick oh, in oh, your. Oh, sorry, I know I talked for a long time already, but go ahead. Pete Alonzo was there with the fourth pick, and I would have liked to take him, <laughs> but I couldn't take. Three you should have done it. You should have done it. Just do it. Would have been been insane. (laughs) All the power. All the power. So stressed the rest of the draft. (laughs) Chris, I know you had the 11th overall pick. How's your draft going? Really, really well, I think, because Ronald Acuna fell to me at number 11 overall, and I was picking between him and Mookie Betts, um, and I decided to go with Ronald Acuna. It's a 15-team league, so the replacement options aren't going to be as good. That's a downside to taking the riskier injury. Uh, risk player, but he's also potentially the number one player, and that's also true of Mookie Betts, but I think the the path is probably clearer for Ronald Acuna, assuming that he's still a big source of stolen bases. I think there's risk with both Mookie Betts and Ronald Acuna, but I think Ronald Acuna is a better bet for that. And then with my second overall pick, with the fifth round and the second round, uh, Mike Trout was still there, so that was a fairly easy call because Look, I know it's a, a taking on a lot of risk overall, adding those two guys with eh. the top two picks, but like eh. they're two of my top, 
I think they're two of my top 10 players in Roto, if not top eight. Acuna, definitely tons of risk, but I, I think the risk for Trout is totally overblown. I mean, yeah, no, I agree with that. So, yeah, it's. Uh, um, what's interesting is now that you've taken Acuna in a high profile league like this, you, you kind of have. You're not rooting for the season to be delayed, but it would help. It your wouldn't hurt. <laughs> sure. If it yeah. was delayed, it would. Yeah, I mean, he could be ready for the normal opening day. We don't know. That's one of the downsides know, of not having any spring training right now is last that we just we have had from, no updates from him the player himself and they tend to be the most optimistic of anybody he was only aiming for may so yeah and hey that'd be great that would be perfectly fine with me um although i'm not rooting for a shortened season either way uh then i get back to the third round and you know we talked about in the starting pitcher preview how i want one of those anchor starting pitchers and there were two left in my opinion there was aaron nola and sandy alcantara but there was also Salvador Perez at 41 overall. Yeah. Yeah. I baby. couldn't pass it up. I mean, no, I know I have, you know, there, there's some risk of Salvador Perez being a disappointment. Uh, there's risk in investing in a 30 year old catcher and especially one who catches as much as he does, who had Tommy John surgery not that long ago, but the value is too good. The edge that I would get if all three of those guys are healthy is just. It's ridiculous. I mean, Ronald Acuna and Mike Trout could be top five players, and Salvador Perez could be a. T- I mean, if he does what he did last season, which I don't think he will, he was a top five player, a top five hitter, or very close to that. So, yeah, it, it was just. I'll figure know, out. He started. He started forty games at DH last year, so I, I think the page, the idea of him catching a lot of games, like he may yeah. be transitioning out of that phase of his career, especially and, and with be, because they're good. Two good catching prospects in their organization. Uh, right? Two? Well, at, just one? One. I mean, at least one. Does. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I mean, it's good because they're giving him those at-bats at DH still. So that, that even gives him a safer mm-hmm. uh, path to playing time than, than before. And yeah, yeah I, mean, it's, I, it's, I, was looking, I was looking at his numbers again the other day, Perez. You know what his X home... We never talk about expected home runs. Uh, but Statcast has an ex-home run stat. Mm-hmm. It was like 52, 53. <laughs> like well, yeah, said, that's the thing is he did it in one of the hardest. Team. He did it in one of the hardest parks for home runs. Yeah. Kansas City Kaufman Stadium yeah. is routinely, if you look at a player's expected home runs, that's they they do it by park. If they had played every game in every, in every park, that's okay. routinely among the smallest numbers for most players. So, yeah, if he's anywhere close to what he was last season, he's going to be a huge edge at catcher. So I've said before, I I think two thirds of last year's production. I mean, that puts him at 32 home runs, 80 RBI from a catcher. I think that would be pretty close to Will Smith. It's just a playing time gap. You know, Will Smith's probably not going to get like prorated. It's probably pretty close between those two, but Salvador Perez might get a hundred plate appearances more. All right, uh, I'll quickly hit on what I've done so far. I had the second overall pick. I actually really wanted Trey Turner because I already have another team with Fernando Tatis, and you know I like to diversify with my early round picks. Obviously, there is some risk involved with drafting Tatis, so um, of course Trey Turner went first overall. So I selected Fernando Tatis. I debated taking Jose Ramirez just to make sure that I got that third baseman, but I'm like, nah. Yeah, I'll give me the upside. I'm taking Fernando Tatis. Came all the way back to my second round pick few different players that I was uh, debating here, but I wound up going with Tim Anderson. So 
I know, Scott, you probably don't love that pick, but giving me that base of batting average and speed and don't really have to worry about it much more, um, at least for the foreseeable future in this draft. Uh, I like getting that and probably looking at drafting some more power here. I, I wanted Yordan Alvarez. He went one pick after me. So right at the turn, I'm okay taking your time. Like if you're in a slow draft, you want to take your time, that's fine. But if you're at the turn and you make one of your picks within, let's say, 30 minutes... <laughs> and then you use another hour on your next pick, that's frustrating. So we are, we are over an hour that this gentleman has been on the clock. So uh, make your pick, bud. That's, that's all I'll say. But, uh, maybe yeah. he started podcasting. Maybe. Uh, Fernando Tatis and Tim Anderson for me, my first two picks. Let's get into position previews, recap, and we'll start with catcher, but there might not be much more to add because you, you, <laughs> you guys just talked about both drafting Salvador Perez in the third round uh, of this 15-team league. I think for this season, more of the same of what we've seen in years past. Um, there are some prospects on the way that are going to help the position, but I think more so in 2023. So if some of these prospects, they get their feet wet, then maybe their full-time players come next year. I think that will really help the position. But for this year, catcher is... Still, you know, not great. It's it's pretty shallow, I, w- I would say, compared to all the other positions, but it always is. So, uh, Scotty, where are you at on catcher? And what is your strategy? Let's start in, in a two-catcher league, um, which is most Roto Leagues. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, Salvador Perez, I, I, we got into quite a bit already, but I do want to stress that, like, he is he is what makes the position different this year from previous years. I, I feel like there hasn't been a catcher worth drafting as early as him for a decade plus. Some may have been drafted as early as him, but they, they didn't really deserve to be the way he does. I think he's the biggest advantage you could have at any position. I have him two tiers ahead of any other catcher. And uh, that's why whenever he's available in round four, I'm going to take him. And a lot of times I'll consider taking him in round three. So very big on drafting Salvador Perez this year, regardless one catcher or two. I think it's actually even more beneficial to do it in a one catcher league, though, because usually you're talking about smaller lineups and you want to get as much impact as you can out of every lineup spot. Beyond that, I I don't really put a lot of emphasis on the position. Probably my second most drafted catcher who isn't one of the late rounders is like Dalton Varsho, if he happens to be around and like round 10 or something. I think there's a lot of upside there because he can, he's going to spend a lot of his time in the outfield, hopefully get more bats than the average catcher for, for that reason. And he's the only catcher who has a chance of contributing a worthy number of stolen bases. So um, he's probably my second most drafted catcher. I don't, I don't think Real Muto or Will Smith are worth, worth paying up for the way Salvador Perez is. But if I don't, have a have reason to take Dalton Varsho. If I miss out on Salvador Perez, I am probably just taking the best of what's available, whether it's one catcher league or two. Uh, it often ends up being Mitch Garver. I feel like he has the most upside of those late round choices by a considerable margin. Actually, it's just a question of how much playing time he gets. But I'll roll the dice because it's not like you're investing much in it. But you know, if it doesn't end up being him, it ends up being Joey Bart or K. Bear Ruiz or. You know, even in those two catcher leagues, I'm I'm okay beginning the year with Mike Zunino, who hit the second most home runs of anyone at the position last year. Uh, it's just it's just generally not wise to invest a lot in that position 
uh, unless you're sure that it's going to be somebody who stands out from the crowd. I do feel pretty good about the top five, six, if you want to include Varsho. I'm a little bit more worried about him myself. But yeah, I, I want to get one of those top five, regardless of format. One catcher, I want an impact bat at the position. As you mentioned, Scott, if it's a two-catcher league, I still want one of those top five. And then you know I'll dive back in later on. Elias Diaz, Omar Narvaez, those are guys that, you know, I I don't know how much they're going to help you, but I don't think that they hurt you either. So I like to target those guys as my second catcher. But yeah, really trying to get one of those top five uh, if I can. Chris, your strategy in, let's say, a one-catcher league. Scott kind of touched on both of them, but this is most head-to-head style leagues, head-to-head points, head-to-head categories. Usually only start one catcher. What's your strategy there? Yeah, I think... In a one-catcher league, Salvador Perez and Will Smith are probably the only ones I would pay up for um, because they're the only ones that I think have real potential to perform like a non-catcher. And, and ultimately, when you're talking about this position, that that matters a lot, I think, because once you get past those two, and like maybe Osmani Grandal walks 120 times again and, and he produces that way, or Maybe yeah. we see a, an increase and in, an improvement from JT Realmuto after a, a little bit of a down season or something like that. Um, but in the head-to-head points league, I think I'm only really taking one of the early ones just because I know I can get Mitch Garver with one of my last picks in a head-to-head points league, and I think he'll be fine for that format with a one-catcher league. So that's probably the way I'm approaching it. And, and even in a head in a roto league, I don't know if I'm going to pay up for Real Muto. I don't know if I'm going to pay up for Wilson Contreras. They, they yeah. kind of feel like just guys to me. Certainly um, in Roto. I, I could see paying up for Real Muto in a points league. Uh, with the playing time that he gets. Yeah, maybe. The, the, the playing time. And he has he has nicer peripherals than most catchers and gets a lot of doubles and whatnot. But Yeah, but... But like the, the middle class of the position, like Varsho, I think is worth it in Roto. But after that, like... I'm going to wait if I don't get someone at that high end because I just I don't see much reason to pay up for Tyler Stevenson or or, or any of those guys. So, yeah, yeah I, I think it's still a pretty bad position. Yeah, Grandal is actually the one that I, I find myself targeting most. I, I really like what he did last year. Absolutely crushed the ball, and he was on fire down the stretch. Walk rate was insane, so if you're playing a head-to-head points league or any type of OBP format, Grandal is going to be fantastic there, but... Even in a basic 5x5 Roto League, he's consistent. He's going to hit 240 to 250, mid-20s home runs. Counting stats should be good in a good in a very strong lineup with the White Sox as well. So uh, Grandal is the one that I find myself targeting most. Scotty, I'm going to assume that that is Salvador Perez for you? Yep. And Chris, the catcher you find yourself targeting most? Uh, probably Mitch Garver. Mitch Garver. All right, let's move on to first base. We have a few super studs up top, and Scott has both of them on his team, by the way. Again, Vlad and <laughs> Freddie Freeman. Big power after that. You see that tier of Matt Olson and Pete Alonzo. Uh, but overall, it's a deep position with viable options, including the profit pocket, which if you listen to our first base preview, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Chris, what is your first base strategy this season? Draft Luke Voigt late. Is a big part of it. I'm ending up with him in pretty much every league I'm doing. He's a top 12 first baseman for me because I'm just assuming he's going to play somewhere. Um, but yeah, this is a position where I'm perfectly happy to take one of the early round guys. I'm perfectly happy to take one of the middle class guys. And I'm perfectly happy to wait. Uh, I'm getting a lot of Max Muncy, a lot of Joey Votto. I think there's some really good values at the position this year. So it is, um, 
it's probably the position that I worry about least. It's like the position that I'm taking the least like conscious decision making process about because you you can just I think you'll be happy no matter where you go. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, I've been in drafts where, you know, I'm considering a first baseman early, but oh man, it looks like a, a tier is ending at another position and then you tell you remind yourself, well, there's a lot of usable first basemen later on, the Josh yeah. Bells, the Reese Hoskins, Joey Votto's, of course, uh, guys that we all like the season. So, Scotty, yep. what do you find yourself doing? What's the strategy here at first base? I am going to have a lot of Vladimir Guerrero just by virtue of him being my number two player in both scoring formats. It's a different number one. I have Juan Soto number one in points and Fernando Tatis and Roto, but Vladimir Guerrero is my number two in both. So, you know, not many people haven't ranked that high. So I'm going to have a lot of Guerrero just because of that. If, if I'm picking at the one, two turn, I'm going to take Freddie Freeman probably with one of those picks because I have him ranked higher than the consensus, it would appear, as well. Uh, so there's a good chance I'll have a lot of him, too. That doesn't happen, though, if I don't get one of them early. Um, and, and it's not a position scarcity thing for what it's worth. I just think they're super productive in everything but stolen bases. But if it doesn't happen, then I'm probably waiting for that profit pocket that foursome of Joey Votto, CJ Crone, Josh Bell, and Reese Hoskins, uh, especially in points leagues because Votto and Hoskins, you know, they're, they're best suited for points leagues because of how much they walk, which isn't to say they're not good in Roto, but especially in points leagues. And also because in, in points leagues, you're, you're typically talking about a, no corner infield spot in the lineup, right? Just first baseman, just the starting nine. So, like in a in a roto league, I I, I might take Pete Alonso, and if he's if he's there in round five, and you know I'm trying to not underdo it in the home run category, especially this year, I might take Pete Alonso because I know it doesn't block me from from reaching into that profit pocket still. And that pretty much sums it up. I, I don't have a lot of interest in Matt Olson or Paul Goldschmidt or Jose Abreu. I'm, I'm probably just going to let them go to somebody else unless the value is outrageous. I do like Paul Goldschmidt quite a bit. I mean, he is the one, if I am targeting one early on, I like Alonzo as well. I, I think he could set you apart in the power categories. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt, though, just rock solid across the board. And you look at the batting average throughout his career, 286 or better, basically every season outside of the shortened 2020. So I, I trust what we saw from him last year. The StatCast numbers were career bests for Paul Goldschmidt yeah. last year. And then if I miss out on him, of course, I like the profit pocket. The one that I like most is Reese Hoskins. He got off to a slow start last year, but he took off in July. He hit 27 home runs total in just 107 games. Of course, he's got to stay healthy, but that was a really strong home run pace that we saw last year. And you mentioned how great he is in points leagues. He's got 3.2 fantasy points per game. That was tied for eighth best at the position last year. I, I want to mention the reason I singled out Alonzo there is because of that tier, he tends to last the longest. I don't prefer Alonzo to Olsen. If for some reason Alonzo goes earlier and, and Olsen slips to round five, okay, then I will take Olsen. Uh, so I didn't I didn't mean to single out Alonzo there. It was more just I like the the value that Alonzo tends to provide based on his ADP. All right, let's move over to second base, and it seems like a plenty plentiful position. Uh, having Trey Turner up there at the top definitely helps, and uh, there are a lot of really strong options 
in the mid to late rounds, whether you need a starting second baseman or a middle infielder. But just keep in mind that 16 of the top 20 second basemen in ADP are eligible at other positions. So it goes quicker than you think. A lot of those guys either have shortstop eligibility or Cattell Marte has outfield eligibility. So you'll notice the second base position, while there are a lot of strong options, they they go quicker than you think. So, uh, Scott, we'll start with you this time. The second base position, what is your strategy? What do you find yourself doing? I don't really feel like I have a good plan at second base. I, I feel like the the plan for everything else just kind of takes over in second base gets left out, which, which I, I mean, maybe goes to show you the improved depth at the position that I feel like I could do that. I think the, the second baseman I wind up drafting most often are probably like Jose Altuve, Brandon Lau. If Chris isn't in the draft, I tend to draft a lot of Cattell Marte. I think all three are, are, are going later than they should. Uh, which also speaks to the depth of the position. And at least for Altuve and Lau, they're only eligible at second base, so I don't have to worry about somebody scooping them up to play some other position. Cattell Marte is, of course, eligible in the outfield. And if I miss out on that whole tier, there's still Jorge Polanco, there's still Jonathan India, who I'm okay with. I know not everybody is, but uh, I really like what he showed as a rookie. I like that he improved over the course of the season. I like that he walks a lot, and I like that he's not a zero for stolen bases. So... Um, I'm okay with him as my starting second baseman. But it dropped off pretty quickly after that. I don't know. I've just never found it's an issue, though. I, for me, even without putting a lot of emphasis on second base, I've never gotten burned at that position yet. Uh, but, you know, in, in theory, I would not want to be the guy who, uh, you know, winds up having to start, I don't know, Jake Cronenworth there. I mean, honestly, that's not such a terrible outcome. I just think the upside's limited. So, yeah, I don't know. I, and it doesn't feel like uh, that scary of a position this year. All right, Chris, what do you think about second base? And do you find yourself winding up with anyone uh, who whose name doesn't rhyme with Schmattel Schmarte? Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely would draft Schmerner. <laughs> I actually don't love second base as much as a lot of people do this year. I think there are a lot of players who are, if not overvalued, I think at least risky at their price. I don't really like Ozzy Albies at his price. I don't love Marcus Simeon at his price. Yeah, I agree. I with both of don't love Jorge Polanco at his price. I don't love Javier Baez. I don't love Jonathan India. So that's like half the top 12 in ADP that I'm just kind of, very unlikely to draft. I'm drafting a lot of Whit Merrifield. I'm drafting a lot of Cattell Marte, obviously. I'm drafting a lot of Max Muncy at two different positions just because, I mean, if he plays, if he's healthy enough to play, it, it's kind of upsetting that we don't know for sure. But if he is healthy enough to play, he's going to be a steal where you get him in most drafts. So I'm willing to take that risk after the 100th pick, which is usually where you can find him. I really don't think he's going to be healthy enough to play. That's that's obviously for you to decide with that pick. Sorry, guys. Sandy Alcantara is still there at my pick. This TGFBI draft is just going unbelievably well. So I'm going to take Sandy Alcantara at 50th overall in the oh, fourth round nice. as my anchor starting pitcher. This, man, this draft is going incredibly well for me. 
That is I awesome too. Very happy about this. Sorry. And, okay. We have forty ninth in mind. I mean, it, just just pointing it out there. He's he slipped in mind too. I didn't have a chance to take him because yeah. I was picking on the other side. But yeah, interesting. Back to second base. Uh, like I don't love Tommy Edmond. I don't love Jazz Chisholm at his price. So I'm I'm more likely to make sure that I get my guy in Cattell Marte or Whit Merrifield. Um, just because I do think those guys have special skills. You know, Cattell Marte is, I think, one of the three or four best sources of batting average, and he's a legitimate power hitter. And with Merrifield, he's going to just rack up numbers, including stolen bases. So I, I like both of those guys quite a bit at this position, and, and I'm making them a priority. All right, so Cattell Marte you, you never, and Whit Merrifield for Chris. I think you never, asked, you never asked us our favorite first baseman to draft, Frank. I know. Yeah, I was just going to go back to it now. But you can okay. tell me now who, who you got, Scott. It's Joey Votto, actually. All right, Joey Votto for you, Chris. First baseman yep. you target most? Uh, Luke Voigt. Luke Voigt. Uh, all right. So, you, Chris, you just spoke about who you like at second base. Scott, do you have a second baseman you find yourself targeting most? Probably Jose Altuve is the one I like to draft most, but it's it's not a very strong preference like it is at other positions. Yeah, I'm with you. It's now. Nah, nah, I'm just gonna keep saying every time I say I'm with you, I'm gonna think back to our starting. Pitcher I know. I made you conscious of it now, so you're gonna you're gonna uh, think twice about saying. I know. Every now I, I, I just said it. I'm like, ah, oh, I can't. I gotta stop. I'm with you, Scott. That's what you were trying to say. Uh, no, I will not say it. Anyway, Cattell uh, <laughs> Marte is the one that I would like to target most uh, in in the early rounds if I can, and then if I miss out on him, oof, I found myself waiting quite a while. And um, hold your nose, but Gene Segura and Colton Wong. I find myself winding up with these guys a lot. I've been doing some deeper drafts, so maybe that's the reason why. But even in 12-team leagues, Segura and Colton Wong, they both averaged 2.9 fantasy points per game last year, the same amount as Javier Baez. And I know they're not flashy. They're high-floor plays. They both finished top 150 in Roto last season. Both of their ADPs are outside the top 200, so... I, it just seems like easy profit. I, I know that they're not exciting players, but uh, Segura, strong batting average, modest power and speed. Colton Wong, I think he can go 15-15. 15 homers, 15 steals, 90-plus runs if he stays healthy. So, uh, yeah, if you really wait on the position, I do like those guys. The third base strategy, arguably, hmm, probably not arguable, the most shallow position in fantasy baseball this season. The top three is awesome, but... After that, you're filled with a bunch of question marks. Chris, we will start with you. Your strategy at third base. Yeah, if I can get one of that top three, I'm perfectly happy to do so. And I will, you know, make a priority of getting one of them if, you know, oftentimes you'll have like Mike Trout still available when Rafael Devers or Manny Machado are there or Mookie Betts or something like that. And like, if that happens, I'm going to take the guys who I think are just better players. But the reason I'm very likely to try to take one of those top three is just I don't like Austin Riley or Nolan Arenado as much as everyone else does. There's a 42 gap pick gap difference between Manny Machado and Austin Riley in my in my overall rankings in Roto. I have Austin Riley 60th, Manny Machado 18th. So I'm just not necessarily buying what he did. I think Nolan Arenado is arguably, if it's not Jazz Chisholm, I think Nolan Arenado is arguably the scariest player inside of the top 100 right now. He just, he does not hit the ball with much quality right now, and so he's completely sold out for power, and I just think that the margin for error is extremely slim for him. 
after that, I'm actually okay with the next tier, though. I like Alberto Mondesi in a Roto League. I think he's worth the the gamble at his price. I think Alex Bregman, Anthony Rendon, Chris Bryant are all fine values at their price. I think they're all worth the the prices that they're going for. So I don't mind it. And even you know some of the cheaper third basemen, if they f- start to fall, like DJ LeMayhew or Josh Donaldson, uh, Justin Turner, Luis Arias, they're there's there's stuff here that makes me not willing to pay the premium for the really the like one the two players in that middle class. It's really just Austin Riley and Adalbert and Nolan Arenado that I'm staying away from. This is the position where I think Chris and I disagree the most because um, yeah, I just don't care that much about position scarcity. Yeah, like I I think it's been a long time since we've seen a non catcher position where you can be left holding the bag. Like you just you just get shut out there mm-hmm. and are having to make do with waiver fodder all season long. And so if if Salvador Perez is the biggest singular advantage you could get in any, any position, I think I put it at six, one of the top, oh, actually five, one of the top five third basemen is the second biggest advantage you could get at third base. And I'm including Austin Riley and Nolan Arenado in that. Maybe they have some I, risk. I, I don't I don't think Austin, and I know Chris and I disagree about this. I, I don't really see bottom out potential for Austin Riley. I think he could slump to a he hit 303 last year, I believe. he could he could hit he could end up hitting like 270 with 30 homers instead of 303 with 33 home runs. And you know, obviously that would be worse. We could argue whether that makes him worth his draft position or not. But I, I think he'll be. I think he'll be one of the standouts at his position, clearly, uh, because there are so few candidates for that. And then Arenado, you know, particularly if he if he slides at, you know, out if he's if he slides to around seventieth, like round six, let's say. I I feel I feel pretty good about what he did in his first year in St. Louis because it played out. Looking at his batted ball profile in Colorado, trying to figure out how that would play outside of Colorado, it went basically the way I expected. He elevates the ball and pulls it enough that the home run total remains high, but his batting average suffers. And I think given the state of the position, that that is that is a player I can live with, and I'd rather go ahead right, and it's just a player, take him. I, I don't than, disagree that it's a player you can live with. I just don't think I'm taking a player I can live with in the well, fifth or sixth round. It depends how you feel about what comes after. Cause I'm not sure I can live with what comes well, like, after. I, Alex I'm Bregman perfectly in a happy league? with Justin Turner. I'm yeah. perfectly happy with Josh Donaldson. Like I think Josh Donaldson and a replacement player could come really close to giving you what Nolan Arenado does. It's possible, but it feels like just a coins flip chance to me. And like, right, I, I'd but, rather, but it's I'd a rather much, not it's suffer. a much lower I'd rather not suffer at that position all year, I guess is what it comes down to because at other positions, I don't like beyond the point where Arenado goes well beyond the point where Austin Riley goes. Every position has plenty of options still that I'm confident in. And look, if I don't end up with Arenado or Riley or Machado, I'd probably take it the round two, three turn. I've decided I'd take him over Zach Wheeler and, and Shane Bieber, except maybe in a points league. If it doesn't work out, you know, I'll, I'll I'll obviously cross my fingers on an Anthony Rendon or a Matt Chapman much later in, in the hopes of a bounce back. I mean, 
a couple of those guys are going to bounce back. Uh, Yohan Mokata would be in that category as well. Alex Bregman, I don't know that he necessarily has to bounce back. He just needs to stay healthy. But he's obviously not going to be that 30-homer MVP candidate that we are used to seeing, or at least I don't think he's going to be. In points leagues, he walks so much that I would go ahead and tier him with Arenado and, and Riley and make it a top six at the position. I, I'll, I'll do that for Bregman in a points league. Uh, but in a roto league... I don't think he has the kind of power potential with the new ball that um, would would make him any kind of difference maker at the position, really. So, and, and then I guess Chris Bryant's there too, but I'm I'm worried about him and uh, wondering if he really has 30 homer potential anymore. So, by the time Arenado tends to go off the board, I feel like we tend to see a drop in hitter quality anyway. So I find that he's somebody I draft a lot. All right. I'd love to get the top three. I, I think most people would this season. Really, the top nine, if I can, ending with Bregman, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rendon. I'd love to get one of those. But if I miss out on them, I have wound up with quite a few uh, Justin Turner shares so far this year. He was the 59th overall player in Roto last season. He averaged three fantasy points per game. He's getting up there in age. Probably not going to play every day anymore. But when he plays, he's still pretty valuable. So, uh, Chris, the third baseman, you find yourself drafting most uh first base might find myself drafting and nolan arenado actually no um <laughs> probably justin turner or anthony rendon all right scotty i mean it's it's been austin riley i i think but i would say the one i'm most aiming for is probably arenado all right, let's hit a quick break. And before we do that, I want to remind everyone we have a live mock draft coming up on our YouTube channel Tuesday night. That's March 1st at 9 p.m. Eastern time, 12-team Roto League this time. Scott, Chris, and myself will be there, so you can come watch live at youtube.com slash today. But also, these mocks will now be turned into, into two-part podcasts for you to listen to on demand after the fact. So, uh, yeah. Of course, you're welcome to come watch us live and hang out, and it's a lot of fun usually. We got the draft board up, and you can follow everything that's going on. But yes, they will be turned into uh, on-demand podcasts as well. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, shortstop here, Fantasy Baseball Today. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, so let's take a look at shortstop, a loaded position. 14 shortstops going in the top 90 picks in ADP, and it feels like you can get a good one at any point of the draft, you know, even if you decide to wait, you can get, you know, Willie Adamas around pick 130, 140, sometimes 150. Um, but yeah, there's, so there's, there's fullback options. There's a lot of talent here at the position. Uh, Chris, we'll start with you. Your shortstop strategy. What do you got? This is one position that I think you can kind of go without a strategy because it's so deep and because there are impact players. I mean, really, 120 picks deep potentially in the draft, if not more, depending on how you think of Jazz Chisholm or Dansby Swanson. Like there are really, really good players up and down the shortstop position. And so it's the position that I think you can, if the right guy is there, if you have the number one pick, 
you can take Fernando Tatis. But if you don't want to take one early, Xander Bogarts in the third or fourth round is a really, really nice player to have on your team. So I don't think you really have to have a strategy. I think shortstop is so good that if you do have a strategy, it might just be take as many shortstop as possible because you could put Fernando Tatis in the outfield and Trey Turner at second base and then draft Marcus Simeon and then have like, there's just a lot of different ways you can go about it. So I think it's the one position that more than any other, you can kind of do whatever you want and you'll probably be in a really good position. All right, Scotty, what do you think about shortstop this year? Do you maybe do the opposite of third base and avoid the position at times throughout the first five or six rounds just because you know that there's so many options that you can get to later on? Yeah, I do, actually. It, it is such a deep position, and there are, I, I don't feel that differently about Willie Adamas than I do like Carlos Correa or even maybe Xander Bogarts, and he goes you know, around 120th. So he's kind of the ultimate fallback for me. If I, if I just don't feel like any of the previous shortstops goes in an appropriate value for me, I don't overthink it in the first round. You know, basically there are two rounds worth of hitters that stand out so much from the, uh, the rest of the hitter crop that I'm not really thinking about what position they play so much. So Fernando Tatis, certainly in a, in a categories league, I take him number one. Obviously, you could bump him to outfield if uh, if you want to take a shortstop later. But I'm not worried about blocking shortstop Trey Turner, Bo Bichette. Like that's just not really entering my thoughts. But after them, that next tier of shortstops, uh, I don't I don't want to pay up for any of them. I, I don't love the value of Tim Anderson. I definitely don't love the value of Francisco Lindor. I'll probably have zero shares of him. I could see myself taking Corey Seager in like cuz cuz he 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 tends to go among the later in that group, you know, sometimes in like the round 5 6 range and I think he might have as much or more upside as anybody in that group. Wander Franco in a points league maybe. Carlos Correa, you know, that that's toward the end of the tier. And so I probably end up with a lot of him. But again, if if it just doesn't work out for me to take one of those shortstops from that very large tier, then I'm fine with Willie Adamas as my shortstop. I'm fine, frankly, with Bobby Witt as my shortstop. And it's just not a difficult position to fill because there are that many options. Even, even in a Roto League where there's that middle infield spot, I don't, I've never come close to like, getting left out of the position. Now, I haven't done a lot of 15-team drafts. Most of the listeners don't play in 15-team leagues. And, and maybe the position gets stretched quite a bit more there. But 12 teams or fewer, it's, it's just not a position you have to stress about much. Yeah, for sure. So you threw out a bunch of names there, Scotty. Is there one in particular you find yourself targeting most? I mean, Willie Adamas, I think, is, is the one I'm most excited to draft when I draft him. Yeah. Doesn't mean I, and it doesn't mean I have to wait for him and take him. I might take somebody earlier, but... The value I just think is is awesome for him. All right, Chris, who you got? Yeah, Willie Adamas has ended up on my teams quite a bit. If not him, I've drafted a decent amount of Francisco Lindor. Tim Anderson is another one. Um, <laughs> the two I said I don't like the value. Of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. That's fine. <laughs> I like it. This is the podcast for Scott and Chris are. Buttonheads. Uh, Wander, <laughs> Wander Franco in a points league, I, I really like to target him. If I can get him in the fifth round of a 12-team league, he 
averaged 3.3 fantasy points per game last season, and that was even with a slow start. So he had that tremendous on-base streak. So you know, any type of points league, OBP format, Wander Franco is going to be awesome there. Uh, Lindor, <laughs> I'm about it. I'm buying the bounce back. I think he flashed something in September, provide you 12 to 15 steals. I think strong counting stats. 25 to 30 home runs. Uh, I'm in on Lindor and Willie Adamas. Uh, look, if Willie Adamas is a bad year, you know, we might all have a bad year, but uh, yeah, I, I'm in and it sounds like we're all kind of on the same page there. Let's get to outfield. This is a, a stacked position up top, but feels like it kind of falls off of a cliff once you get to the, you know, 30th, 35th outfielder range there. So the Mitch Hanniger, Jesse Winker, Kyle Schwarber range of the outfield position. It, Kind of feels like it falls off of a cliff. Scott, what do you think about outfield this year and particularly your strategy in three outfielder leagues? So that's most head-to-head points and head-to-head category leagues. Do you maybe avoid the position early because yeah. you only start three outfielders? Yeah, because you only start three. And and like there is never, in a league that's shallow, outfield never really dries up. I mean, it might appear to in the draft, but there are just so many, you know, 90 outfield spots in the league. There are so many opportunities for outfields to emerge, to break through, that they're going to be they're going to be popping up on the waiver wire all the time. So, A, I don't want to risk filling the position too soon and and block myself from taking some of the value I like late. And B, I just I just don't want to be that heavily invested in the outfield, particularly in a three outfielder league, because it's not at all uncommon for me to just construct my outfield on the fly. Like I think, so I had in the podcast listeners league last year, which is a three outfielder points league. I had the highest scoring team, didn't make the playoffs, but I had the highest scoring team and my outfield was like, it ended up being like Hunter Renfro and Robbie Grossman. And I don't know, it was Mark Canna for a while. It was just guys that was cycling through on the waiver wire and, and, I'm not saying that's the optimal way to do it, but that is a that is a certainly a way to do it. It's it's always going to be an option for you. So I tend not to draft them early. Of course, if 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 it's the right time, if, if I pick in the right spot for Juan Soto in the first round, I'll take Juan Soto. Mike Trout, I'll take Mike Trout. You know, I'm not going to overthink it with those early round picks again. But if if that doesn't happen, I'm probably taking somebody like. Brian Reynolds is my number one outfielder, or maybe even like Kyle Schwarber, maybe one of the last of that group of 30 that you're talking about, Frank, before a drop-off and uh, have one of those guys and then just kind of piece together my outfield after that. Does anybody else think that Scott is upset that he didn't make the playoffs in, in that league last year? <laughs> Every time you bring it up, Scott, you're like, well, I had the most points in the league, but I didn't make the playoffs. Yeah, well, so. I had a good team. <laughs> I had a good team and I just got squeezed out for no good reason. I think I think it was a situation where like a division wasn't it a situation where like a division winner had to make it and the division winner had a worse record than me. Yeah, or something like that. That's the points podcast league. We we definitely have to revise some things there. I like there <laughs> should not be divisions in in any type of head-to-head format. Divisions go, you're gone. And one of the playoff spots, I believe, should go to the highest point scorer you know, whatever. If it's four teams make the playoffs, it's the top three records, and then the fourth one is the highest point scorer after that. That's how I like to play. Chris, when it comes to five outfielder leagues, what is your strategy this season in that format? I'm not worried about filling up my outfield spots too early in that league. The, the, the thing about outfield is, like, I've got 
four, 15 players in my top 30 overall are in the outfield position in a roto league. So I just don't think you can go wrong drafting too many of them. Like, yeah, you run the risk of reaching a point <clears throat> in your draft where the best players are all outfielders and or the best hitters are all outfielders. And then that can be frustrating when you don't have the spots for them. But in a five outfielder league with, with dual eligibility and all that, I'm not too worried about it. If I, if I end up with three outfielders in my first five picks, I can still make that work. It's, it's just, it's such a good position. You get, you tend to like last season, right fielders had the highest OPS in the majors among all positions collectively higher, even than DH and first base. And you've got, you know, stolen base guys and you've got like, you, you can find whatever you need at outfield. And so like shortstop, it's the kind of thing where I'm not, not going in with a specific advantage or a specific plan. I think you go into the, the draft with a plan at positions where you might find scarcity. So third base or catcher like that. That's the the places that you, you need to have a plan, but first base or shortstop and outfield, you can, you can kind of just play it by, you know, how the draft goes and take obvious values. And a lot of the times those are going to be outfielders, you know, at every point in the draft. So, I'm <clears throat> I'm not necessarily looking to avoid filling up the spots and not necessarily looking to take them early, but you know, if I end up with four outfielders in my top 40 or top 30, that's fine. You know, I, like that's that's a good way to make your team really good. You know, you, there there's a lot of like I feel like there and this is obviously a philosophical thing that, that Scott and I disagree on this season, specifically with third base, but I just kind of feel like there's, there's a lot of like, you have to try to make the puzzle pieces fit and sure, but you also just want the best players and a lot of the best players are at outfield. So I don't know if you want to overthink it in any way like that. All right, Chris, do you have an outfielder you find yourself targeting most? Yeah. I mean, Byron Buxton, Cattell Marte, the brand um, baby, the brand. But actually, I'm drafting a lot of Christian Yelich. I've moved him, both him and Cody Bellinger, actually, I moved up recently. They were two of the biggest movers in my rankings update last week. Christian Yelich all the way up to 63rd overall. Cody Bellinger, 78th. And basically, that's me just saying, you know what? Maybe it's not 100% that they bounce back. But if those two guys are right, they have as much difference-making potential as anyone. And I'm not going to draft Christian Yelich in the fifth round or sixth round because I'm not going to need to. But I rank them that way to make sure that when it comes time to draft them in the eighth round or the ninth round, you know, I'll be there around ahead of someone because I, I do want both of those guys on my team just for that breakout potential that or that bounce back potential. Because, I mean, it can be easy to forget how freaking good Christian Yelich was in 2018 and 2019. I mean, he was on a 2019. He was hitting like 330 with a 50 homer, like almost 40 stolen base pace, right? His numbers were absolutely absurd. So if he can get anywhere close to that, you know, he missed like the last 30 games of the season. If he can get anywhere close to that, um, I, I love having Christian Yelich on my team. Yeah, he went 44 homers, 30 steals in 130 games. So that's probably like, like 50 a, homer, 35 steal pace. Yeah, basically. Yeah. No, it's it's crazy. It, look, it comes down to health mostly for for both of these guys. I would say the the back injury is probably a little bit more worrisome for me for Yelich, but 
yeah, if if he's healthy, I, I think the sky is the limit once again for both of those guys. Scotty, do you have an outfielder or two you find yourself targeting most? I would say I'm, I'm targeting Cedric Mullins a surprising amount, even in points leagues. But probably the one I'm most excited to draft is um, is Brian Reynolds. Oh, you know what? No, it's not. It's Kyle Schwarber. Almost overlooked my, one my of the guy, big, Kyle. One of the biggest risers for me in my most yeah. recent update, too. You talked me into it. Yeah, I think he's going to hit more than 40 homers this year. Probably bat around 260, maybe even higher. And just, you know, Pete Alonzo numbers eight rounds later. Alrighty. Uh Chris, I, I will remind you that George Springer plays outfield, so I feel like we should Oh gosh, yeah. George <laughs> Springer also. Um that, but that's what I'm saying. It's like I really, really like the the outfield position. He's my number thirteen outfielder, uh number twenty eight overall player. So like I, I might have four outfielders in my first six picks if it's the right combination of guys, and I'm perfectly pleased with it. Alrighty, yeah. For me, I I want to draft as much Luis Robert as I could possibly wind up with. He the problem is he goes in the second round when I want to get those third basemen. Um, but yeah, typically if those third basemen are gone, I'm I'm gonna look for Luis Robert. And later on in the draft, Cody Bellinger. Uh, I want to take the shot. One year further removed from the shoulder injury last year, looked a little bit better in the postseason. Uh, was hitting fastballs much better in that small sample size. So uh, I've got some faith that Cody Bellinger can get back on track. We've got starting pitcher and relief pitcher. So what we'll do is I'll ask Scotty for starting pitcher strategy. I'll ask Chris for relief pitcher mm. strategy. Uh, and then <laughs> you're not going to get much out of me at relief pitcher. <laughs> Gotta be honest. Well, we won't have much time for you to give anything. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's true. Ah, yes, starting pitcher. Okay, yeah. Now this is this is. I'm going to be able to take a bite out of this apple in five minutes. I'm sure. Um, so starting pitcher is looking a lot more stable than it has in the past couple of years. I've referred to it before as the return of the middle class, and it being more of a upper middle class than a lower middle class. And so I want to lean into that. I don't see as much distinction between the early round starting pitchers as sort of the mid-tier starting pitchers as in past years. So I'm probably not going to be the guy taking Garrett Cole in round one or, you know, Zach Wheeler in round two, at least in a categories league. Points league is kind of a different story because there are so few hitter spots to fill. I would be more aggressive at starting pitcher in a points league. But this year, I, I'm i more forming my pitching staff from guys who are certainly capable of ace-level production, but they just don't cost as much. Uh, so, you know, Charlie Morton is, of course, my favorite, but it's likely I'm going to draft a pitcher before him, somebody like Kevin Gosman in this draft, or Aaron Nola, or Sandy Alcantara, maybe even Robbie Ray, and, uh, you know, then go with the Charlie Morton hopefully come back with a third pitcher who I think is capable of ace upside like a Max Freed or a Frankie Montas I like a lot. Justin Verlander is kind of the last of that group. And get hopefully get th- – that basically comes out to three of my top 30 at the position. Probably not any of my top five, but three of my top 30. And then go really heavy at what's the true middle class at the position, which is like 31 to 55 in my rankings. and includes guys like Ranger Suarez and Adam Wainwright and Chris Bassett and 
Pablo Lopez. All these guys, I think, have high-end potential themselves. I mean, Adam Wainwright was a top-10 pitcher in both formats last year. And if I can have seven pitchers, six or seven, let's say, of those top 55, I feel pretty good about how my pitching staff's going to perform. And then I like to come in at the end and grab that Kyle Hendricks, Carlos Carrasco, Zach Granke forgotten ace trio that for some reason has just gotten buried because they had one bad year. Uh, if I can get two or perhaps even all three of those guys to add to that top seven, I'm going to be fine. Like maybe one of those guys is done. Maybe two of those guys are done, but there's a good chance any of them could bounce back with top 25 type numbers at the position again. So that's, that's how I approach starting pitcher this year. Not, not putting a premium on it like the past couple years, but not like neglecting it either. Uh, just kind of, kind of hedging my bet with what I think is, now a very large middle class. I think I know the answer to this question, Scott, but the starting pitcher you wind up with most? Charlie. Charlie Morton. Look, I think in the mock drafts that we do together, we're we're probably all going to be duking it out for the services of Charlie Morton, but rightfully so. He is uh, one of the best values this season. Chris, maybe a name other than Charlie Morton that you find yourself drafting most? Hmm. A name other than Charlie Morton that I find myself drafting the most. Um, we'll go down a little bit. I would say Trevor Rogers is a name that I find myself drafting a lot because I, I, I really do believe in the skills that he showed last season. So that that's my guy. All right. And let's stick with the Marlins. Sandy Alcantara for me. If you listen to starting pitcher preview part one, then you know the deal. I think it's an ideal blend of volume and skills and change the pitch mix last year. The strikeouts were up over the final 13 starts. The swinging strike rate was up. I think he is just progressing as a starting pitcher. And for some reason, people are sleeping on that. Maybe it's because he plays for the Marlins. So they think he's not going to get wins, which is a possibility. I get that. But man, you're, you're, you're talking about one of maybe five or 10 starting pitchers. We can actually expect 200 plus innings from this season. Frank, they lost one of the great winners of all time this this morning that's so true i don't know how many games they're going to win without Derek jeter yeah r2 spec right r re2 spec that probably makes more re re2 pecked re2 pecked yeah yeah look he wants to win the marlins don't want to spend that's what happens Derek jeter you're out of here kid all right relief pitcher strategy chris i know you don't want to talk about it but i need you i need you to talk about it here let's go look i can from a head-to-head points league perspective because obviously you can you can use Sparps in that league. Those are starting pitchers who have, who have relief pitcher eligibility. Uh, but in a categories league, you probably want to compete in saves, Chris. So how do you attack those two differently? I mean, in this marketplace, it's so difficult to do so because saves are so expensive um, right now in drafts. And it just, I don't think it's really all that logical the way people are going after saves right now. I know part of it is that a lot of the drafts that have happened right now are draft and holds or or non-fab leagues where you don't get to add guys. But even in these TGFBI leagues that we're doing, we're we're seeing multiple relievers go in the top 25 or top 30 in most drafts. And I just, I can't bring myself to pay that price. So I'm probably not going to be paying up for one of the high-end relievers this year. And, and, and I think the, the likeliest thing is just I'm going to have to try to play the, the reliever roulette later on in drafts and, and target guys like 
I don't know, Scott Barlow and, and, you know, Kenley Jansen tends to go later right now. And I think he'll end up being a closer. So I'm, I'm fine with him, but you know, Blake Trinan or Dylan Floro, Taylor Rogers, guys like that, who I think will be good if they are the closer. And just with the understanding that you're probably going to have to cycle through a lot of options early in the season to, to get there. And, I don't know. Maybe it's worth making Liam Hendricks your second round or third round pick, but I just can't bring myself to do it. There's there's so much that can go wrong for closers, even the really, really good ones. Like It's unlikely that Liam Hendricks loses his job, but he's still a pitcher, so he's still injury prone. He's still like there, there's just there's too many different ways that one of those high end closers can lose their job for me to justify the kind of cost they're doing for the impact that you're going to get from them, which is one category and then pretty minimal in, uh, contributions. I can't think of it. contributions in, in three other categories. Maybe. Right. Uh, Scott in a minute or less head to head points leagues. Do you find yourself, um, targeting sparps in, in that format? Do you have to get one of those or, are you okay just waiting and, and grabbing closers like I, I well, Ranger Suarez? I don't have to, yeah. but those those are the only ones that I'm gonna pay for in a head-to-head points leagues where everybody just has two reliever spots. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll draft Ranger Suarez at the appropriate time, Luis Severino at the appropriate time, maybe even Cal Quantrill at the appropriate time. But otherwise, if, I, if I'm just taking a closer, I'm just taking the best of what's left because there is going to be something left uh, when there's only 24 reliever spots to fill. Alrighty, with that, Scotty, who is a relief pitcher you draft most? Probably Scott Barlow. I'm pretty confident he's the Royals' closer. He's a good strikeouts guy, and uh, he doesn't get drafted like he is the Royals' closer. Like like he does have a for sure closer role. So Scott Barlow. All right, and I'm sure it has nothing to do with the first name, Chris. <laughs> you have uh, who is a relief pitcher you find yourself drafting? Can I can I say Sparps? Uh, Luis Severino. I'm going to have a lot of Luis Severino. I already do. And Michael Kopech. I just think there's a chance that if Michael Kopech's in the rotation for an extended amount of time this season, there's just a chance he's one of the best pitchers in baseball for however long he's in the rotation. All righty. Yeah, for me, uh, I do like grabbing Will Smith, the closer for the Braves. I know home runs were an issue for him last year, but he is the last of the closers drafted. Um in a group where I have relative confidence in his job security. So everyone else that you, you feel pretty good about their job security, they go much earlier than Will Smith. So uh, I like the the value there on him. And Taylor Rogers, He's proven it in the past. He could be a legit closer. He finished as a top 12 reliever in fantasy back in 2019. He had 30 saves. And his numbers, his underlying numbers, were actually better last year than they've ever been. So Taylor Rogers is someone I like quite a bit as well. Uh, all right, we're going to wrap there. You know, we're, we're still kind of getting back on track here, but the further we get away from the position previews, I'm sure that we'll bring bring down the, the, the total here uh, in terms of minutes on the podcast. So I'm sorry, Scott. I know you're looking forward to that. For Scott. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. <laughs> For Scott and Chris, I no, am Frank. wrap it up, B. Don't do that, Chris. Come on. <laughs> for Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening You're and too young watching. for that one, Frank. Fantasy Baseball Today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye.